to the gospel afresh this evening, you will note that as Nathan sang and what we are about to read and enter into, it's once more all a confirmation from God that he's at work and that this is of him. And so we read together from the first verse of Revelation in chapter 20, and we pray that the Lord will bless us even as we now come to consider that which we have just heard in song. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and the Satan, and bound him a thousand years, cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them. And judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. And this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in this first resurrection, and such the second death hath no part, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when a thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea." And they went up in the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about. And the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works." And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And in our reading there at the verse 15, and truly may the Lord speak to our hearts even from that which we have just read. We come to consider this very solemn passage And we're focusing our thoughts entirely upon the last number of verses beginning from the verse 11. And as we come to behold the scene that John records for us here, we come to view that which will surely be one of the saddest days ever experienced here upon earth. But yet it is a day that is coming, a day that is appointed by God, a day that is marked in the calendar of God, a day that is unavoidable, for the world is a large to come to. But yet, as we come to it, we identify that this is but the beginning of what will be the latter end of a large majority 
of those who live upon this earth. And coming to even consider that latter end and coming once more to this theme of hell and that which the Bible records for us about that place that God has prepared for everlasting judgment of all those who are outside of him and indeed for those satanic forces that have waged a war against him. We come to consider surely that which troubles our heart, that which concerns us, that which must and should burden us even in greater ways for all that we know who are yet outside of him. We come to consider a message which as I reflected upon it as the week, in the week that has passed and really came to grips with that which we sought to deliver tonight and prepared ourselves in spirit and in mind even to deliver such, it's my firm conviction that this is a message that millions upon millions desire to hear tonight. Millions upon millions would do anything to exchange their place for yours tonight to have one more opportunity to be warned in the gospel about all that lies before. And I'm speaking tonight of the millions who already find their place in this everlasting place of torment and torture, that which the Lord truly has revealed to us in His Word, to warn us, to ever inform us, and to seek to even conform us to the truth that we are made aware of as we come to the gospel. So tonight, let us consider all that we read off in these verses at the end of this chapter, and let us notice firstly the scope of the judgment that's foretold. It tells us there, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it. From whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. In our mind, we see a picture of a large company of people, all finding their place now at the very end of time before the presence of God himself. And John denotes these as being the great and the small. And surely as we come to it this, this evening, we must seek to define even that very phrase, that very term. What does it mean? And what is John indicating to us and communicating to us as he records that he saw the dead, small and great, stand before God? Was it a, an allusion to the stature of these individuals? Perhaps. But nevertheless, I don't believe in any way that that's the emphasis that's communicated here. For communicated to us is a picture of that which is the company of people who stand before God for the very purpose of judgment. And so perhaps you could argue that that which is in view here is a scale of that which has been transgressed by this company of people. 
And to that there is a little more evidence within the chapter even to testify to and helps us to understand that as the books were opened and they were judged according to their works, that there will be, even upon that day, those who will be judged in a greater way than others simply because of that which they have done against God in their life. But nevertheless, again, I suggest to you that that is not the primary emphasis of this phrase. Rather, it's a testimony to the character and the nature of the individuals concerned. And these are individuals who come from every walk of life. These are individuals who have known plenty in life and those who have known poverty in life. These are those who are termed to be great in the eyes of the world and those who are termed to be small in the eyes of the world. But nevertheless, they all find their place here before God. And understand very clearly that as this company assembles here at the great white throne, amongst it are numbered the rich and the famous, those who you and I would have no hope of spending time in their company today, those with whom we can simply only ever hope to get a glimpse of in this life, yet nevertheless they're standing before God upon that day of the great white throne judgment. They will be there for all to see. There'll be no security there. There'll be no blockade or barriers put up around them. No, simply they are found, numbered amongst this great company of those who await the very final judgment of God. The gifted doctor will be there that day. The caring nurse. The award-winning scientist the upstanding neighbor, the lauded politician, even the very villains of history, Judas Iscariot, Hitler, Mussolini, Bin Laden, they'll all find their place in that company that day. The churchgoer will be there that day. The respectable, the good mother, the gentle father, the hard-working farmer, the record-breaking athlete, all will be found numbered in that company that day. If in this life they reject the Lord Jesus. We considered at the outset of this study just two Sunday evenings ago the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And in that story, we were brought face to face with the great contrast between the small and the great, the rich and the poor. For we know that one who knew even much of this world's possessions, one who enjoyed the very finest of banqueting day by day, the very most opulent of surroundings, the very finest of garments were arrayed upon him, but yet in the end, he died just as every other individual did. Outside his gate, placed day after day was this beggar man, this poor man, this man by the name of Lazarus. He simply survived from crumbs, that which was cast to him without a second thought, but yet 
received ever so gratefully because of his great need. He knew no friends. He knew no uh, uh, even companions in this life, but yet it was his reality that his company in this life was simply the dogs who came to him day by day to lick his wounds. But yet in the end, he died too. And you'll remember from that account, no doubt, that as we saw them pass from this life to the next, that in hell, the rich man opened up his eyes, being in torment. For the final destiny of his soul, that part of him that never dies, that part of you that never dies, will spend an eternity somewhere. And for this rich man, it was in hell itself. There he viewed not only the great gulf that existed between heaven and hell, but he saw right into heaven. And he beheld in Abraham's bosom the poor man who day by day found his place outside his gate. And as we consider that story, make no mistake about it, for it would be an affront to the gospel to consider any other outcome. And the reality is that the poor man didn't go to heaven just because he was poor, and the rich man didn't go to hell because he was rich. No, the poor man went to heaven because of that which was evident in his heart, and the rich man went to hell because despite having much in this life, he didn't have Christ. And so in this account that's given to us here in the book of Revelation and the chapter 20 as we behold that great white throne and as we see the dead small and great stand before God, we see those who are turned to simply be Christ rejectors. Those who have never received of the life that is offered in the gospel. Those who remain sinners to the very day of their death. And as those books are opened, the Bible tells us there at the end of the chapter in the verse 15, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Upon that day, their name was found to be missing. Their eternal fate. Their eternal destiny. Secured. You notice not only the scope of that judgment, small and great, but we notice also the summary of that judgment. For the Bible tells us the books were opened, and then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Now, this is all a testimony to, indeed, the fairness and the justice that will be meted out that day. This is in no way a testimony to hell being a place where God has forgot to show mercy and grace. This is a reality that hell will forever be that place where God chooses not to show mercy and grace. Because as, the, uh, as those who have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ in this life find their place before this great white throne, and as these books are open, then, my friend, everything will be laid bare. Not a single thought, not a single word, not a single deed will go unaccounted for. 
even the secret things. Even those that we get through life without anyone finding out about, all shall be laid bare on God's holy canvas that day. Proverbs in the chapter 29 in the verse 1 says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. There is a sense that is given to us here of those who have remained in their sin. Those who upon that day will testify to the reality that here in this life they rejected God and chose their sin time after time. The gospel is that which seeks to reprove. The gospel is that which seeks to make bare and lay bare even before us the reality of who we are in the sight of God, testifying to our extreme need of a Savior, testifying to the evidence of Scripture that in Christ God provided the Savior. And so we come to this this evening and we are reminded in the Word of God that as we come to that which is depicted to us as being the final day of judgment, we come to a day in which there is no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it doesn't matter the status that is to be known in this life for upon that day each and every one who finds their place before this throne is simply termed as being those who have remained in their sin, rejected Christ, and whose names are missing from the Lamb's book of life. The Bible tells us that not only are the books which record the deeds of the sinner opened up, but it also testifies there of the book of life being opened up. And surely that book of life and its presence here at the great white throne is a testimony to the justice of God and all that is being transacted on that day. For there in the book of life we see evidence of invitation. There we see evidence of those who have received and accepted the atonement that was made on Calvary's cross. There we see evidence of those who chose not their sin, but chose to put their faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation. And the two books stand in contrast one to the other. Why? Because within the pages of one are recorded names, the names of those who are redeemed, the names of those who chose life, the names of those who chose Christ. Recorded in the other is every dastardly deed and every wicked thought that the sinner has engaged in throughout all of their life. Judgment will be swift. Judgment will be final. Judgment will be fair. Then we notice not only the scope of the judgment, the summary of the judgment, but we notice the statement of the judgment. For there in the verse 15 it tells us, Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And it is simply here recorded for us, but another view of the Lord's recorded words in Matthew's gospel in the chapter 25 in the verse 41. 
Whenever he said, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. I know tonight, in preaching this message, we do so with a heavy heart. And we do so with a hand extended. And we do so with a sincere desire to exhort and to warn all those who remain outside of Christ that this will be your end. If in this life you continue to reject Christ, if in this life you continue to say no to his offer of mercy and grace in the gospel, if in this life you continue to harden your heart and harden your neck against all the truth that is here revealed, then this will be your end. And though little is really given to us in regards to a finite description of hell itself, and we could debate all day whether or not the fire is literal, whether the brimstone is literal. We could debate all day about just how dark is the darkness that will prevail. But friend, this evening as we come to this subject once more, the means of his judgment matter little to me whenever compared with the magnitude of the suffering that awaits the sinner. Tonight it's the magnitude of that which lies before that should grip the heart of every believer because that is what awaits those whom we love who are yet without Christ. And surely as we behold, hell is a place of torment, a place of eternal damnation, a place where the worm dieth not, remembering the fire is not quenched, a place where there's weeping, where there's wailing, where there's gnashing of teeth, a place where the cries of the doomed ring out through all eternity. We behold a place that we would desire no one to go to. And if you're here outside of Christ tonight, then it is our desire, it is our aim, it is our goal to warn you, to exhort you, to uh, plead with you that you might turn from the wicked ways in which you are set and turn even to Christ tonight. For those cries truly prevail in our thoughts and in our hearts tonight. The cries of those without Christ. The cries of those without hope. And cast your mind back to two Sunday nights ago whenever we heard the cry of that rich man as he beheld Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. And he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and allow Lazarus to dip his finger in water and to come and to put it upon my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. And I tell you that two weeks on from that very message, two weeks on from reading that truth that's recorded there in Luke's Gospel, that rich man is still crying the same cry tonight in hell. He's still saying, have mercy on me. Because throughout all eternity, that will be what he knows. 
His greatest desire will be for just some relief. Every time we read of hell, we read it of a place of torment. Eternal torment is how the Bible describes that which awaits the unbeliever. And it's an important distinction from everything that we know to be true upon this earth. For you and I, very often in our world media, we come across stories of war crimes. We come across stories of barbaric treatment from one human being to another. And very often, the term attributed to such suffering, the term attributed to such dastardly deeds is simply the word torture. That which describes the act of mankind one upon another. But when it comes to hell, when it comes to the final uh, place of damnation of those who are outside of Christ, the word torment is always used. Why? Because hell is self-inflicted. Torment is self-inflicted. Torment will consume Torment will prevail. Torment will be the forever reality of the lost. Torment, remembering nights like this, whenever under the sound of the gospel they sat. Torments, when from meetings like this they walked out and under their feet trampled the very blood of Jesus Christ. Torment when they remember all that they have been exposed to. Torment whenever they remember those pleas and those invitations extended from loved ones and from families. Torment when they consider their latter end and realize that this will be their forever reality. Oh, they'll say, I should have taken my opportunity. I should have entered in. I should have repented of my sin. I should have believed the gospel. Friend, tonight, if you are outside of Christ, that is what truly awaits you. For your name is still missing. Your name is still not found written in that book of life. Your place is still reserved at this great white throne. The psalmist says in Psalm 68 and verse 20, He that is our God is the God of salvation. And unto God the Lord belong the issues from death. All that we read off here at the end of the book of Revelation is that which God has deemed, that which God has prepared, that which God has decreed as being the just reward of the ungodly. If I could change it, I would. If I could lessen its impact or its effect, I would. But this is all according to God. For the issues from death belong unto him. 
Praise God, tonight we come together in a meeting. A meeting in which we have the opportunity once more to proclaim the God of salvation. The God who is not willing that any should perish. The God who truly desires that none would dwell in hell throughout all eternity. It's my firm belief that in the heart and the mind of God, hell was a place for the devil and his angels. Not for souls for whom Christ died. Not for sinners such as we who were considered of such a high price that the darling Son of God came into this world to die in our place and to die in our stead and to make a way that we could be reconciled unto a holy God. But yet tonight the message of Scripture is that whilst that may be His desire and whilst that may be the very beat of His heart, it remains true that He is a just God and hell is a just reward for the sinner. Tonight, he's a God of salvation. Tonight, he desires that all would come and enter in, receive from him life everlasting.